0: And welcome to Midlife Athlete Podcast. I'm um, host uh, Jason Smith, and um, I'm flying solo today without my um, partner in crime, uh, Greg. And i um, really pleased to have a guest on um, who I think is, um, is, is quite a special lady, actually. Her name is Debbie um, Martin Consini, and she is the first female finisher of this year's uh, Winter Montane Spine Race. Uh, which I think is regarded as one of the world's toughest races. So well, welcome, Debbie. Thank you for coming on. Hi,
1: Jason. Thank you. Thank you for having me on.
0: Um, we were chatting just before we went on air and, and uh, I said, have you recovered? And you said, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm recovering. Yes. <laughs> From the verb to recover. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually doing OK. I'm doing OK. I mean, it's nearly four, it's over four weeks now, actually. What date is it? Yeah, it'll be, it'll be like nearly a month since I've finished. Um so yeah I'm probably recovering better than I thought I would so that's always a good sign but I kind of knew from experience that these things take about a good 2 to 3 months to get out of your system so I am running I am exercising and getting on with day to day life but um yeah there's some definite signs of fatigue and few aches and pains and my bones feel way older <laughs> than they did a month ago that's for sure
0: and the the the, the Montane Spine Race it's it's running winter and summer. Obviously, winter okay. being ridiculously hard because of the conditions, it's probably hard anyway. But but as I say, winter makes it so much more difficult. It's along the Pennine Way, and mm-hmm. um, I may have got some of these stats wrong because I was looking at the stats earlier, and the, the mileages and kilometers didn't quite didn't quite add up. But I think it's two hundred sixty eight miles, it is, and and, and eleven thousand seven hundred something. Um meters of ascent, which for anyone listening is quite a bit beyond everest in terms of of height yeah,
1: I think it's about forty thousand feet I, I kind of I work in miles and feet which is probably a bit backwards um so yeah I, I mean it's not particularly it's not mountainous but there's a lot of kind of like awkwardness in it Do you know it's uh it's a bit cheeky there is quite a few there's quite a few hills so the highest hill is Crossfell. And I think that's just shy of about three thousand feet. Um, so it's the highest mountain we call it a mountain outside the Lake District in England. Um, so yeah, um, I think that comes about one hundred and sixty miles in. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of up and down, but there's nothing. It's not like technical. There's not big, huge climbs that you'd find in some of the, like the Lakeland races and stuff. But I think over the Course of like two hundred and sixty-eight miles, forty thousand feet isn't that much, but yeah. I mean, if you asked me that a month ago, I'd tell you something different. Well,
0: but, um, yeah, yeah. And it's fact, unrelenting.
1: Should we just call it unrelenting? Uh, well,
0: exactly, exactly. <laughs> that was my my word. I was going to choose is unrelenting, and it's. I think for you, you did about one hundred and four hours of running. Am I yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. um Which which is an awful lot of running. So, I mean. <sighs> I don't know where to kind of start with this because it's an insane race. What were the conditions like this year? I mean, because cause you can get you can get well definitely four seasons in one day there, but
1: oh you can get everything. I think every year is some kind of theme. So um this is the second time I've done the race. So I did it two years ago in 2020. Um and then I'd signed up for 2021, and then that was postponed because of COVID going a little bit crazy again mm. the winter before um so in that year we had storm brendan which hit on the monday night i think it was Um, and that was horrific that was quite possibly the worst conditions i've ever been out on um and it wasn't just like in a storm like i knew i had to go up shallar fell which is second highest and then the snow came the day after so i think i had a good benchmark of awful weather um so this time the the more of the winter conditions was kind of front loaded so we had it mostly on the sunday and monday and then the forecast was to it was to get better as the week went on um and wednesday and thursday um were just really really nice sunny days um so yeah we had a lot there had actually way more snow on the first day than i anticipated when i left glasgow on the friday so on the saturday we had a lot of snow even in the city on the friday um so yeah there was a lot of snow about on the Saturday and then on the Saturday night I was just lying awake listening to the hail and the wind thinking here we go again <laughs> um but yeah the sun the Sunday was very wintry I wouldn't say it was bad conditions it was just winter conditions and a uh, Monday it rained a lot and then thereafter it just it got better um so pound for pound I would say we had much better conditions than I had last time um
0: so, yeah it was actually in terms of, in Spain terms I think we definitely got lucky yeah I, and we, we alluded to the fact that you're still recovering and, and and you were saying that it takes sort of two or three months to recover from from something like that just for, for, for listeners because there'll, there'll be lots of listeners who will have never done an ultramarathon there'll be listeners who have never done a long run let alone an ultramarathon but but can you just put into words you know what how much does it actually really take out of you, you know, doing something like this that yeah. that means that it's two to three months of recovery?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, we've already spoken about the distance and the ascent. Um, so, yeah, it's 268 miles, 40,000 feet. It took me 104 hours, like you say, which on paper, you know, you know, people can get their head around that but when you've also got to take in the fact you've got to carry everything that you will need or anything that you would need should you get stuck out in a mountain. So the kit list for the race is actually a 27-page PDF document. Wow. So it's quite extensive and very specific and outrageously expensive to buy all the kit. Um, So you've got to carry a sleeping bag, a mat, a stove, a you know, spare basically everything that you could possibly need, you've got to carry. So, um, your backpack weighs way more than you would ever, ever use if you were out on a hill. And um, then you've got the Pennine Way, which is quite a hostile place, even in the summer. So, there's a lot of mud, slippy flat flagstones, and there's a lot of water. You know, Bobby. You're pulling, yeah, you're pulling your legs out of mud for a long time. And that is, like so damaging especially to like your shins because it's not muscles that get used very often so shin tendonitis is quite um yes yeah, you know there's a lot of people who do get shin tendonitis in the race and then you've got to take in the fact that you don't really sleep so i had i was out for four nights and had less than three hours sleep in total and you've got the weather to contend with so you're also burning a lot of calories and just keeping yourself going you're carrying that pack you're not sleeping and you've got 16 hours of darkness to contend with in the race as well and whatever is thrown at you every single weather condition you know if you've got blisters or all those things so I think um, any one of those factors would make a race really hard. But mm. when you put them all together, that's the magic of the spine. And that's why it takes so long to get over. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a distance, I think it's the sleep deprivation and the the exertion on top of that. Um, you know, it does crazy things. You don't even, most people don't even know what it does to their body. Like I wear a heart rate monitor. Because it's built into my watch, and I did a race quite similar to this in uh, the Italian Alps, which took about five days, and only because I wear a heart rate monitor on my watch. It's not like I'm fanatical about monitoring my heart rate. My heart rate, resting heart rate, is not particularly low. Um, maybe in normal population terms, it is. It usually sits between forty-five and forty-eight as a resting heart rate, um, but for the month after. I did 2g on the Italian apps. My resting heart rate was 75. Wow! But I was just thinking I was totally fine. I didn't have any, you know, I was tired. I was a bit, but you just think if I hadn't noticed that. So yeah, your your resting heart rate does because you've just you're just really tired. So it's little things like that that you don't realize what it's actually doing to you. Um, Yeah, sleep deprivation's is is a horrible thing. Do you? um, Yeah.
0: Do you? I mean, you mentioned your heart rate and your resting heart rate. Do you use heart rate variability at all? And and if so, right? Okay. So
1: no. I mean, I'm not really. I'm not really a statsy kind of person. Like I've got a really high spec watch, and I probably use about one percent of it. Um, I only bought it because it's got a really good battery life. So I'm not really. I don't really go into the analytics, and I have the opportunity to because I do have a watch that can do all that. Um. But I generally, I mean, I've been running for like twenty years now, so I know how my body reacts and I know how I feel. Like I could probably pinpoint where my heart rate is just by how how I feel. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I just generally go on how I feel rather than look into analytics. I think you could just, um, think you could get easily obsessed with these kind of things and um, like fitness scores and things. And you know what, you can't stay the same all the time, and you can't keep improving. So there, there's no point um i mean sometimes it's interesting
0: but yeah uh start from me <laughs> yeah i i just wondered when you um you know when you saw your heart resting heart rate uh, quite elevated for for quite a while afterwards you know what that it would be interesting to measure the heart rate variability and see actually the the sort of effect on the parasympathetic system of of of, of an event like this so you you as as i understand it you just pretty much ran <laughs> You run straight through. There's no because there yeah, are very I mean, checkpoints. Yeah, we running
1: in the loosest term. Well, there's a lot of walking. I'm not well, gonna lie. Okay. But yeah, we're just gonna say there was forward motion. For okay, us. So, so there
0: was, but there was almost perpetual forward motion in the yeah. sense that there are checkpoints that you obviously have to have to get to, and and, and I guess some of that is for safety reasons as well. But and um, th- this wasn't a case of you going out, doing a day's run, having a kip at the night, going back out the next morning. You, you're running or yeah. to use your term, forward motion, um, pretty much all the time.
1: Yeah, the clock keeps ticking. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, I, there was a few checkpoints where I was actually stopped for, like, three, three and a half hours. So I would try to sleep, probably not sleep, um, just take some time out to eat and drink and just rest a little bit. Um, so, yeah, but you do have stops as well, so it's not like – and, you know, I, I slept for two hours at one point. Um, so, yeah, but other than that, you can start for as long as you like, but the clock keeps ticking. So, um, yeah.
0: And there was, I think I saw some footage of you coming in to the finish line on YouTube <laughs> oh um, where you were you were almost sideways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, again, for the listeners, I'd urge you to come check it out because this oh, this go. sort of <laughs> I can't well, even watch it I think it's a it's a real kind of good indication of what you put yourself through
1: yeah.
0: doing this sort of race and how you feel at, at the end and um uh it, it was I mean, it was it was painful to watch. Yeah, um, it was painful um, for me
1: to watch. Yes, I, yeah,
0: so I can <laughs> <could> imagine. But <laughs> yes. obviously, there was the elation involved as well. Was was? Great oh, I was. I was
1: mentally. I was. I was okay. I was fine. But yeah, I mean, I, they call it the ultra lean, which is quite. You know, that, you know, I've seen it before. Um, nobody's really quite sure why it happens because people get it for various different reasons. Um, I don't know whether so I. I think uh, I didn't notice I was leaning to the right a little bit. Um, I didn't realise it was someone that pointed it out to me. Um, One of my friends came out to see me and he says, you're just leaning a little bit. Will you please drink some more? And I was like, I'm not. What is he talking about? And then I caught my shadow and I thought I I am. And then um, the medics were coming out to meet me on the course and they could see I was leaning, but they were out just to check if I was still coherent. Um, which I was, I was totally fine. I was definitely hamming it up when I saw them though, just to make sure I was extra coherent. Um, and um, yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was really till the last day when I was going over the TV that it really got quite debilitating. Um, and I don't know whether it was the exertion or dehydration or the weight of the pack or some kind of imbalance. There's various theories behind it. But I kept having to take my pack off and lie down on the ground because that was the only thing that would um, alleviate it. Um, as soon as I finished and took my pack off, I still had a little bit of a lean going on like for the rest of the day, but the next day it was completely gone. Um, my back was still a little bit sore, but no sore than the rest of my body. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really know why it happened, but, yeah, the last 10 miles were horrific. Um, uh, there's a little hill before you get to the finish, and I didn't think I was gonna make it up the hill. I genuinely thought I was gonna to have to stop the race. I'm half a mile from the end. Um so yeah, it's it's a hard watch to see that. Um to see me like that, especially because I didn't think I was that bent over until I saw I was like, oh my goodness, and that was me trying to stay upright. Um but yeah, I think I was so happy and I was just so thrilled, and it was yeah. Yeah, well, yeah it's been, I mean, held, it's, been held up by a flower point pack. Well, it's not the way I wanted to finish it.
0: <laughs> but it but, is. A, um, it is. It is. It was a remarkable, you know, remarkable race and and, and remarkable achievement. Take us through um, some of the, and I'm sure this is the case, you know, with with a lot of ultra races, um, not just the Montane Spine Race, but but I think particularly with this one, as you say, you had to carry everything. What? How do you? How do you go about? You know, sort of with your nutrition and and, and feeding um, throughout something like that, where it's.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the mandatory parts of the kit is you have to carry 3000 calories when you leave the checkpoints. Um, I think there's five, maybe six main checkpoints um, along the way. Um, I am rubbish at eating on the (laughs) go. It's really, really not my forte. And it's you know, I've seen people who can just hoover up anything as and when they go. Which is, I I wish I could be at that, but I don't think I need as much as other people um, either. You know, I've got quite a small frame, which means the backpack was even worse for me because everyone's got to carry the same amount of kit. Um, So, yeah, I just kind of ate a lot of snack bars and nuts, you know, anything that's got a lot of calories in it. I was trying to just eat most of that. Um, I stayed away from, I carried like chocolates and sweets and all those kind of things, but you don't really want sweet things. Mm. Um, So the food at the checkpoints is amazing. Like You can get lasagnas and stews and soups and custard and rice puddings and all those things. So I mostly stocked up, um, but on the go, I ate a lot of flapjacks and nuts. And um, yeah, that was really about it. There's nothing really exciting. I had a there was a burger van that we passed, so I had a veggie burger from a burger van, um, and the one of the little cafes uh, in Duffton, just below Crossbell, they stay they stay open the whole time, even though they're closed in the winter. Um, so you can get in there and get some tea and hot rolls and all that. So yeah, the food's amazing.
0: But I mean, it's it's hard. So I, I I've done a lot of. Sort of long distance cycling stuff, and when you're riding, it's a bit easier to take in food. But even then, you know you've got it's it's difficult to probably consume as much as you should be. Yeah. And with running, it, it's even harder. So, you know, hey, how do you? I mean, presumably you don't. You're in deficit, so there's 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 no way around that. But then when you do when you do stop and you have a veggie burger or something, I mean, surely you can't just go running again or, or yeah
1: but it's a different kind of pace Right. like if i'm doing like a hundred mile trail race i just do gels right because i know that's all i just i can't go through the motions of chewing um even digesting it or anything so if i'm doing something where i'm running constantly or i want to be running at pace constantly which sounds ridiculous because i'm running 100 miles but i will only have like energy drink and gels because I know that's all I'll be able to consume because otherwise I'll just feel sick. Um, Whereas this, you're moving at such a slow pace. You have to move at such a slow pace because you're on the go for so long. So you can't start going into the red zone because then it's game over. So you're basically just working through the low gears. That's all you're doing. So it's a different kind of pace. So um, the only thing is you've got gloves on and you've probably got poles and that Stops you from eating and doing things because, Mm. and you've got to navigate. So, sometimes, and make sure you're watching where your feet are going. So, when you do get tired, your brain is focusing on where you're putting your feet, where are you going, and just making sure that you're staying on course, that you do forget to eat. And if you're using poles and you've got gloves on again and trying to navigate, eating does become a priority. So there's a lot of times that when you're doing that forward motion, you don't get particularly hungry. So there's times where I only ate because the noises my stomach was making was horrific. <laughs> Rather than actually feeling physically hungry, it was just like noises and that gurgling that I knew I had to eat. Um. So, yeah, I mean, you just eat as and when you can, to be honest. It's kind of... For me, there's no scientific approach. I know people have like spreadsheets and they know exactly how many calories and grams of this, that, and the next thing. I'm just, again, it's probably like my uh, running analytics. It's very organic. It's just, uh, I just go out and I run because I love running and I like being outside. And then if I get hungry, I have a sandwich and a bucket of sweets or something. So um, yeah, my, my eating is always something I need to work on. But I knew last time that I was definitely much further in the red and a deficit so I was making more of a conscious effort to eat you know every five six miles or every hour and um whereas the last time I think I was like eating was a lower priority because it was mostly about survival dealing with all the different elements that um that we were facing so I think this time I did I knew that if I wanted to do better this time, I would have to address the things that I did wrong last time. And one of the things I did wrong last time was not look after myself. Um, I didn't have easy access to the stuff that I needed and I just didn't eat properly. So for me to go back, the only reason I went back is because I knew I could do it better. Um, and the only way I could do it better was to actually eat and look after myself.
0: Yeah, because it's it's unsupported, isn't it? There's no yeah, there's no right. sort of race crew or anything like that that you can you can have no, with you.
1: They just make it fairer for everyone, so there's no support out. I mean, your family and friends can come out in the course and say hi. You look amazing, well done. It's just around the corner, all those nice things that are untrue, but <laughs> um, they they can't actually physically give you anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you talked uh, about the pacing. Um, what sort of what sort of pace would you would you do something like the Montane Spine compared to you know maybe that 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 sort of a, a hundred mile trail run that you alluded to earlier where you know you'd you'd be running the entire way? What's what sort of just to give an indication of the difference in in, in pacing?
1: Okay, I think if you're on the Penine Way and you're moving three miles an hour, yeah, then you're right up there. Um, uh, and my to put it into for like a hundred miler, my best hundred miler. Is fifteen hours forty, so that's like nine fifteen pace. So that's probably about six or seven miles an hour. Um, yeah. So probably my bit like I'd be moving at double, triple the pace that I was doing, but easy and in like a hundred miler for sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. Um, as I say, you know, you, you just have to stay like in a super easy pace and, you know, the weight that you're carrying on your pack is just, you just physically can't run. So, I mean, I could jog like downhills and jog the flats and stuff, but um, it was mostly kind of jogging pace rather than running. And I would say that for most people, even right up the field who were like ahead of me, um, most of them would have been walking and just running when you can. And plus there's a lot of bits that you can't run because it's so boggy or the flagstones are completely covered in ice or... So it's not even just about the ascent and the descent. You know, sometimes just what you're putting your feet on um, and your brain is too tired to actually deal with, you know, so it was like a layer of ice with water on top of it and you don't know how deep that water is either. So sometimes you just don't know what you're putting your feet into, so you have to walk.
0: And how conscious are you of of potentially going into the red? Is that something that you're sort of constantly, you know, assessing? Have I gone... Am I am I pushing a bit too hard here?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be bits in it that you definitely will. Um, when I was coming off cross fail I just I was in my third night on twenty minutes of sleep, and I hadn't eaten. I just got lost in the fog. Um, I was so tired, like I don't think I've ever been that tired in my life. I was falling asleep on my feet. I was hallucinating. I was staggering all over the place, and I still had eight nine ten miles to get into a checkpoint and uh, I was going downhill and it was icy I couldn't run because I couldn't stay on my feet and I was well beyond the red (laughs) at that point but all I needed was a sleep and something to eat and then I was fine so in these kind of races like if you're running a marathon for example if you make a mistake and you go into the red it's game over there's just no coming back from it it's just too short a distance to start recovering. Mm. But in an ultra, there's so many times where you could just, like, hit some seriously dark spots, but you can work your way out of it. Um, and in the spine, you've got loads of opportunity. Because, you know, in the spine, unless you've got some kind of debilitating injury, um, nothing short, there's nothing that a sleep and a good feed won't cure. So, yeah. Um, yeah it's not like if you do go into the red then that's it there's just um you just got to take some time out and recuperate and then get going again but yeah you do go into the red quite a few times
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah. for sure and how i mean uh, talk about preparation preparation in terms of your, your physical preparation but i'm assuming with something like this and i think it's you know it's pretty much probably advise with ultras anyway that you try uh, and if, if not if you can't get on the course try and replicate the course in some shape or form did you did you do any reckies? i know you you run it two years before but yeah um whilst you were running did you did you think you know i'm gonna i'm gonna make a conscious decision to go and look at parts of the parts of the
1: yeah course. i did i probably spent the, the first year i probably spent like maybe five or six days on separate trips um down to Ricky, and I was so thankful of that because the penning way is like nothing I've ever run on before um uh there's you know there's a lot of farmland there's a lot of bog the path it's kind of like strange to call it a path there's not a lot of path on there um so I was so thankful that I got there and I got to test the kit and you know, like footwear and socks and all those things. But plus, just get your head around the fact that this is what the Pennine Way is like and it is going to be slow and you are carrying a whole lot of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I was so thankful that I got that because the mental preparation that gave me, you know, and the acceptance um, of what was lying ahead was um, hugely beneficial. Uh, the first year I did it, I was um, quite close, around about the latter stages with a Japanese guy. And i just thinking, this poor guy has been dropped on the Pennine Way and he's thinking, he's telling these mates, so oh, I'm going to run an England countryside and it'll be lovely. And they just dropped him on the Pennine Way in January. And he finished, but you just think, imagine coming over and having no preparation for what you're just about to face. You know, like gates and styles and farmland and all those, like... So yeah, I was so th- I was yeah, it was great to get out. But I've got like loads of hills around here that are not too dissimilar. There's a hills just outside Glasgow called the Patricks, which are equally rubbish. Um, so this time I spent quite a lot of time up there on a Saturday night when I really wanted to be in my pajamas watching Strictly um, up there in the worst weather that you could find in the week. And um, yeah, so there is ways that you can replicate it. I mean, stay away from manicured trails would probably
0: be there. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you how do you prepare for it physically? And how long do you sort of you know um, from from you know if you've, you've, you've you've entered the race, um, and I'm assuming you have to enter quite quite a way in advance. When when do you actually start preparing? And what's what's that physical preparation look like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, as I say, I've been running for like 20 years, and I've been doing ultras since 2007. So I've got a lot of miles in my old legs um so really I didn't do anything different in terms of like long runs and my weekly my training plan usually stays the same because I've got to fit it around work and family um so it was mostly just to try and condition myself with a heavy pack and going out and being comfortable with being uncomfortable so like going out in the hills in the dark by myself which is not something I would usually do and um so just you know getting out, you know, my friends would be like, you really want to go up there in the dark by yourself? And it's just one of those things that you just have to do because um you have to be uncomfortable, you have to be out in bad weather, you have to be out regardless of what the weather's like, in the dark, with a head torch, trying to navigate. Um so the only really different thing I did was um just go out when it was pretty bad, test all the kit and uh go out with a heavy pack. I think the first time that I did the race, I probably did more pack training because I was still um, working in the office full time. So I would run like five and a half miles there and back with like my laptop and my shoes and everything that you could think of. Um, Whereas this time I probably didn't do that many. And I think uh, last winter I'd done all the training and then obviously the Mm. race was cancelled because COVID went a little bit crazy. And uh, I thought with the Omicron variant and nobody was really sure what was going to happen after Christmas. Um, I just thought oh, it was like 50-50 whether it was on. So one side of me was saying, I need to train because it's on until it's off. Whereas the other one's like, do I really want to go through all this again for nothing? Yeah. So there was probably times where I would be like, I've done enough. I'll just go home. <laughs> um, whereas like before I would have been, you know, really committed to that, those heavy pack training runs. Um, So I probably didn't do as much, but I have, this was my third winter of training for it. So I think I'd, you know, I'd done enough over the years to condition myself into that.
0: And I'm sure um, anyone listening is going to sort of say to me, ask the question about motivation. Um, And I, and I also, I came across, um when I, I was looking back into to some of the runs that ultras and stuff that you've done previously, and I think you alluded to the to the um the, the one in Italy, the Tour de Gens, I think, um in, in the Italian Alps. And uh the description I had was that you were hallucinating fatigue, your lungs were wrecked uh through the altitude. Yeah. Um you know, you were you were, were right on the edge, if not, you know,
1: border mm-hmm. and going
0: going. In so how on earth? What goes through your mind from a motivation perspective to to keep going in those circumstances?
1: I'm just really stubborn. I'm not gonna lie. I, I'm really stubborn, and uh, sometimes like things that scare me are the things that I want to do. Um, I think like people who know me don't know me would just maybe have this false impression that I am completely fearless and you know people are like oh you know I've said loads of people have said to me like you're so inspirational you're so brave you're so courageous and I'm like I'm not I'm not any of those things um I am the person that's crying the day before the race I can't eat because I feel so sick because I'm so nervous but I love to do things that absolutely terrify me um, so all the things that I do, it's not because like I'm brave or courageous or inspirational or like fearless. I'm not. I just like I love being scared. I love being excited about something. And I think like for me, my sweet spot is when I'm absolutely terrified, but also excited. Um, and those are the things that like, really motivate me. Um, like towards you, and when I first heard about it, I was like, there's just no way I would ever do that. And it's the same with the spine, and probably all the races that I've done, at some point I would have said, I'm 100% never doing that race. Um, But it somehow plants a little seed and then that little seed grows and then I find myself on the start line. But I'm not there because I'm like this badass woman who's just like facing the storm. I'm really not. I'm just there because I'm scared. Um, And I like to do things that scare me. Um, I don't want to do things where I'm guaranteed to succeed you know, the higher the failure rate, the more I'm interested in it. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually do it, things because I might spectacularly fail. And that's what motivates me.
0: And and do you, I mean, many people, when they're being scared, not just, you know, in, in, in exercise, well, you know, we have that fight or flight response um, and, and they may well retreat away from it. Do you go into then a period of sort of, acceptance of that and almost you you accept that you're scared you accept that you're going to be really it's going to be really 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 hard and and that does that allow you to sort of go into that mental space you know to do it
1: I think so I think um when you sign up for something like the spine like everybody knows the, you know the factors and things that you're dealing with in the spine you know it's not cocktails on the beach it's the spine race Um, So there's many times where you just think, actually, this is what I've signed up for. I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, the first year that I was doing this spying race, the the conditions were looking really favourable. Unfortunately, that really changed. They threw in a name storm. So that's a British winter for you and everything could change. I remember reading up to the race and I was looking at the forecast and I was like, oh, no, it actually looks really good weather. I feel like I'm going to be cheating. Um, And you just, you know what, you get what you get. Um, so yeah, there is that acceptance because that's what you sign up for. You know, it's kind of so you can't really moan about the weather because you wouldn't want it any other way. Um so yeah, there is there is a lot of acceptance. I am quite resilient. I am um there's very few things that faze me. Um, and weather is certainly not one of them. I'm not a big fan of wind, but who is? Um but, yeah, I just uh, – weather doesn't put me off. I live in Scotland. We don't have the option to, to choose nice weather windows because they are few and far between.
0: No, there's, um, there's definitely weather in Scotland.
1: <laughs> so uh, maybe it is because I'm just used to dealing with bad weather. Um, but, you know, what? things like weather don't bother me because you can just dress accordingly. Um, 99% of the problem with those things is just physically getting out the door when the weather is bad. Um so, yeah, I just uh, I am quite resilient um I'm very stubborn, um and once I put my head to something you know other than like my limbs falling off, um yeah, I'm probably gonna finish it
0: and where's that is that resilience always been there, or is that something that you've you've also developed so that-
1: I think it's definitely something I've developed, yeah, I've been through like I've put myself into some really nasty, dangerous situations throughout the years. So I think I've got a good benchmark as well. Plus I know myself and I know if I hit a dark part that you know a dark patch in a race that I could probably work my way out it because I've done it hundreds of times before. Um so yeah I mean as I say, you know, other than something like an injury um or you know a a sickness or something you know that there is reasons why people drop out of races and there's hundreds of legitimate reasons why people Mm. do and I have done um but yeah I'm not one to quit easily that's for sure.
0: Clearly not um the uh you, you you alluded you've been you've been doing ultras since 2007 when when did you actually when did you start when did you start running?
1: When did I start running? Yeah, just, just uh, 20 years ago, last week was my 20th anniversary of running. So, yeah, um, I decided to train for a, a local 10K in Glasgow, which was the Glasgow Women's 10K, which is unfortunately no longer. Um, it's quite an iconic race and probably a lot of women of my age in the area started running specifically for the Glasgow Women's 10K. And it was a great race and got so many women into running. But I think things like park run took over that format and it just wasn't the same anymore. And so, yeah, I started to train for that because um, I I wanted to stop smoking. Um, And that was one of my motivators or something just like another outlet. Um, So, yeah, when I first went out for my run, I had a massive hangover Um, and I couldn't run for like a minute. And I definitely had a cigarette at the end of it. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of strange that from that February cold night in the West, I used to go out running in the dark because I was so worried in case anyone saw me.
0: And, and, and I, think that's, I think that's shared by a lot of women, actually, who mm-hmm. are very conscious about um, people seeing them running. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and go yeah. out in the dark. Yeah, my
1: sister, um, my husband and I do this running challenge in December called the Markathon, and my sister does it every year. It's basically running every day um, in December, and my sister does it every year. She doesn't run any other time of the year unfortunately, but she'll go out first thing in the morning, like really ridiculously early in the morning because she's scared in case people see her. Um, And now, to me, that seems like an alien concept, but I was that person. Um. Yeah I was that person who couldn't run for a minute and I would be at my tracksuit bottoms and I used to get in the dark because I didn't want people to see me and then it's hard to believe that 10 years later I was running for the Great Britain team <laughs> um,
0: well, yeah I mean what how did uh, what happened in the in those 10 years how did how did you run and develop how did and also how did you change your perception because you at some point we we interviewed um a lady called Dr. Juliet McGrathen, who you, you you may know, but she she's a, a doctor, a, was a practicing GP, um, and uh, is sort of a promoter, run in and and and, and uh, runs two six one fearless in the UK, and she never regarded herself as a runner, but there was a tipping point where suddenly she did see herself as a runner, and I just wondered what you did the 10k you finished with your with your cigarette but what what (laughs) happened in that 10 years
1: yeah I mean I always think like if you run you're a runner right I mean I hear that all the time people go oh I only do 5ks I'm not really a runner I'm like no if you do 5k (laughs) you're 100% a runner um but yeah I hear that all the time I'm not really a runner I just do I just do park run um clues in the name um so uh yeah so I did the 10k and then uh I did the Glasgow half marathon it was just like that natural progression where I did 10k half marathon ran a couple of marathons I think and then I joined my local running club and uh, I met my husband there and uh I was doing a lot of hill walking as well at the time and uh so before I joined the running club and uh, I think I was looking for something that combines my love of being out in the hills and running and I found a race which is in the uh, the northern parts of the West Highland Way which is called the Jibble of the Highlands um, and I just really wanted to do that and it was like 43 miles and I was utterly broken at the end but I was like so in love with the whole format of just being out in the hills and the camaraderie and the community and not being boxed in in a road race with people. You know, I still love road races. I still love marathons. I love all kinds of running. I do cross country. I do everything. Um, but yeah, I just, I just loved it. And it's just, uh, yeah. So that was going to be my one and only ultra just to see if I could do it. And obviously kind of went a bit crazy from there. Um, so yeah, that's how it's just, it's quite a long, even now, like, you know, I've done quite a few podcasts and interviews and stuff since I won this by, and you know, it's been a little bit crazy. And I you know people will recite my running CV or the things I've done, and sometimes I just think, wow, I've done all that. That's mental. I was a person that had a fag after I won my run. Um, so sometimes when I look back, I, I kind of forget the things that I've actually done um, because I'm always like, on to the next thing, and then I'll finish that, and then oh, I'll do this. and sometimes I I don't look back and see what I've done over the years because to me it's not it's not like a career or anything, you know? It's it's still very much a hobby. Um so I don't look at it as like milestones or collecting or tick boxing or all those things. To me, it's just been like a long adventure. Um so yeah, it's been interesting like looking back at the things that I've done, which I've never really done up until like a few Months
0: ago, but I mean, it it, it is very inspiring when someone like me comes in from the outside and has a look back at that, and sort of, you know, and you've alluded to the fact you did a 10k race, you know, with with with, say having a cigarette at the end, you know, ashamed to go out and run in the daytime, as it were, and 20 years later, a catalogue of of ultras representing your country, I mean, it's it's it is a phenomenal achievement and phenomenally inspiring, and I think. You know, anyone listening who is looking to, you know, move on from that 5k or 10k, I think the message that you're probably sending out is you can do it. Anyone can do it if they really want to do it. And
1: And you can do it, especially if it scares you.
0: (laughs) You have to do it, especially if it scares you.
1: Especially you've just got to find something that puts fire in your belly. That's what I say to everyone. Like, don't choose a race because that's what someone else is doing or your pals are doing it. You've got to find something that you really want to do. Um, Like, I don't race very often, but when I do, I'm 100% committed to that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't even need to be running. you just got to find something that you really want to do, even if it's like a triathlon or MDS or something. Find something that actually really motivates you because you want to do that. And if it scares you, then 100% that's the thing you want to do.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go into the the your age thing. But let's just say for listeners, you are definitely middle aged. So you're you're 47. appropriate to be on on the on nah, the podcast. I'm
1: middle aged, <laughs> uh,
0: but but you're also a mum. You've you've got a yeah. busy day job. How do you how do you fit all of all of the training in? Yeah,
1: with the i don't know it's like my husband's a runner as well um so people think that that would be hard be harder because we've got two train schedules to work around but it's not it's actually easier because we both respect and understand um we do sometimes bicker about who's doing long run and saturday morning because i'll be like i'm running with my mates and he's like i've arranged something um so yeah it actually it actually works out all right um I think, you know, the the trick is just to be, like, organised. Like, I know on a weekly basis, like, when I'm doing my runs, according to my training schedule, um, we both have a coach. um, So I pay someone else to sort out my training schedule. He tells me what I need to do. Um, It makes me accountable. Um, But I I haven't always had a coach. Um, So now he just tells me what I need to do and I just do it. So it's one less thing that I need to think about. Um, I just fit it in. So sometimes I do, like, I do a lot of runs in the morning because um, sometimes it's, like, I work for a newspaper, so my job's, like, 24-7. If I'm if I'm needed, I'm needed regardless of what I'm doing. Um, but I know in the morning nobody needs me. Um, so sometimes, like, the morning. Sometimes I do, like, interval sessions at lunchtime or go out at night, but sometimes, like work can just extend into and like going out at night I'm not really as motivated so I try to just do a lot of morning runs um yeah so I just you know people say to me all the time how do you how do you find the time and I just like always say it really smugly I don't find the time I make the time Mm. because I don't ever wake up and go oh I've got three hours this morning what am I gonna do because that never happens so it's just scheduling and just being organised, and most of all, just being committed. Um, you know, I we've talked about the Scottish weather. I can't sit and go. Oh, I'll just wait for the rain to go off because the rain never goes off. Trust me. Um, so you know, I've just, I've just got, I've got a window, and that's when I need to go. And I've just got to get my shoes laced up and get out the door. Um,
0: and how many so hours me, roughly do you, do you do a week? A sort of an, an average week.
1: Eh, Good question. Um maybe fifteen, maybe. No, not even as much as that. I don't know. It depends what I'm training for. Yeah. Um but I also do a lot of yoga, so I'm a qualified yoga teacher. Um so I try to do that at least three or four times a week as well. Um so it's not all just running. Um, It's mostly running, I'm not going to lie. I probably should do strength and conditioning, which I don't do. Um, But I know yoga takes in a lot of strength and conditioning as well. Um, So, yeah, it really depends on what I'm training for. So this, you know, the last few weeks, I'm probably doing about 30, 40 miles a week. Um, Whereas if I'm training for something long, I could be doing up to like 100 miles a week, but I don't do them too often. I think people just assume that ultra runners just run 100 mile weeks every week. And there is a lot of people who do do that um it doesn't work for me I've got a lot of conditioning so I don't feel like I need to do that um so yeah I mean there's a lot of time I'd probably say on average I'm like two hours a day exercising yeah
0: okay so yeah it's not it's not silly by any stretch of the imagination really
1: it's It's not but it is it's more than a hobby you know it's definitely a way of life
0: yeah yeah, yeah. And I suppose it has to be, really, for to, to fit that in. You've been ultra-running, as I say, since 2007. You must have seen enormous changes in the sort of ultra-running sort of community and calendar and, and so on. Because oh, Because yeah. it seems to have suddenly gone nuts in it's the last...
1: massive few. boom, that's for sure, yeah. So when I started doing it, there was only, like, a few leases that I knew of. Um, and you've got to remember, like, the internet boom since then has been, like... So all races are, like, really internet savvy. And so even just finding out about races, everything's just so much more accessible. Um, You know, the Facebook, social media, people sharing things on races. So not just, like, what is available, but that communication about what is out there. Um, You know, you've got live tracking and dot watching and all those things. So, like, even just, like, events themselves, but the whole communication around events has absolutely boomed. Um. But, yeah, when I started doing ultra running in my club, I think I was the only person that had done it. And now we've got, like, loads of people who are – maybe not just up, but at least done an ultra. Um, so maybe they think, like, the marathon was, like, the pinnacle of running, whereas now it's not really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the boom and, the, you know, like, the the quality as well of ultra runners, whereas before it used to be for, like, fat people who couldn't run very fast <laughs> – whereas now you know you've got marathon runners moving up fell runners going into the mountain races so um yeah and you've got like gb teams for mountain racing and 100ks and 24 hours and like um you know there's no money in it so it's not going to be like well it might be a professional sport i mean there's money if you're like in the alps or in american and stuff but Maybe someday that might be the next advancement that there is, like professional ultra runners, and there's money in it. And whereas now, yeah, it's gone through the roof, and course records get broken all the time because the quality and the standard of racing is just through the. I remember when I did my first ultra, I was third lady when I did it in like eight forty five, and it took me five attempts to win it. And when I won it. I won it in 640. Wow. So like I had to take two hours off it. Um, yeah. So things like the West Highlands Way used to get won by a woman in like 24 hours. And now you'd have to be slow 17 to get anywhere near it. So there's just various things like that. Like, you know, it's just crazy. But then some of the records from like the 100K and the 24 hour races, they've stood for like 30, 40 years. Um, so it was always happening, like in the eighties and stuff. But it was like like an underground sport of these crazy people who would like only drink water out the rivers and eat digestive biscuits. Whereas <laughs> now we've got garments and vapor flies <laughs> and uh, fancy gels and things like that. So yeah, I mean it's been going on for a long time, but now the boom, yeah. And I'm sure it's a very lucrative in- industry as well
0: and so what's what's next for you i mean um in terms of i'm sure you've got other races that, that you want to do and also then what what's the you know how long how long do you see yourself running ultras
1: uh so what's next for me so i'm going like one extreme to the other and my coach like literally has his head in his hands when i, I tell him what i'm doing so i'm doing a race in death valley in Nevada. Oh. <laughs> which is called Bad Water 135. Yeah. So this is one of the most iconic ultra races um, in the States. So it's just outside Las Vegas, and Death Valley is the hottest place on the planet. Um, And it's in July, so yeah the wee ginger woman from scotland does not belong in death valley um so yeah i'm I'm training for that well i'm not training for it yet but that is my focus so i'm listening to a lot of podcasts reading a lot of stuff about heat acclimatization um yeah so i'll start training for that quite soon
0: is that going to be this year
1: it's in july yeah july yeah. yeah yeah So, yeah, I only found out, I, and I applied for it after I did the spine because there was a window of applications. Um, and it's, they only let 100 people into the race, and I guess thousands apply for it, and they select people, like, on a CV basis. It's not names in a hat. So, um, yeah, I think winning the spine definitely helped my <laughs> helped my CV. So, yeah, I thought, well, do you know what? The time has, uh, the time is now. And that definitely terrifies me. So that's definitely up there with things that
0: scare me. I'm not sure to wish you congratulations on getting into <laughs> that race or not, but um, I think, no, I think it's due. Congratulations on getting in and I, I wish you. you all the best with that. But So do you think, I mean, is there any reason why you can't keep going on doing, doing ultras? I mean, do you?
1: Oh no, I'm going to run for as long as I can. Right. That's my goal. Like people say to me, like, what's your lifetime achievement? And I'm like, I want to be that 80 year old pushing the cutoffs, holding up the checkpoints. (laughs) Yeah, I just, uh, I want to run for it. And do you know what? If I can't run, then I'll find something else. But for me, I just want to be able to enjoy the outdoors. Like I'm happiest when I'm outside Um, and I don't mind where I run. You know, people are like, there's this new craze of people like say they don't own road shoes because they only run on trails in the mountains. And I'm like, I just run anywhere. You know, I live and work in the city. I love running around the streets. Um, I love running on trails. I love running in the mountains. I'm just I'm just happiest when I'm outside. It doesn't matter where I am. So as long as I can enjoy the great outdoors, then that is that's my lifetime goal.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Sure. We we ask um, each guest uh, the same final two questions. Okay. Um, I think I know what the answer is going to be for one of them, but um, the first one we ask is. If you could only ever do two two sports or two forms of exercise, what would those be? I think we can I think we can safely say that one of those is probably going to be running. Um but what would the other one be?
1: Does hiking
0: count? Yes. He hiking count.
1: I love I love walking. <laughs> um yeah, I love a good hike up a hill. I love a view from the top of the hill. I love watching the sunrise, so um, yeah, hiking. I quite, I quite enjoy cycling. It's definitely not my thing. I'm definitely a fair weather cyclist. Um, so yeah, I would say hiking. Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay. And, and then finally, and I'm sure you've probably had loads of these moments. It's, it's a kind of the groundhog day question. So you've probably been out running or, or hiking on a trail and you've, you've had an experience and what would be that experience can you describe it there's something that you would love to have over and over and over and over again um
1: yeah I think I already answered that sunrise
0: sunrise any <laughs> sunrise any particular sunrise
1: well obviously it's got to be a nice sunrise yeah um yeah I love a sun- yeah I like sunset as well maybe but definitely I'm a sunrise person it's kind of like something quite magical about it and I do you know what I always like um I always think 99.9% of the population would never sit on a mountain and watch the sunrise and um yeah it never gets boring that and rainbows I will never get unexcited seeing a rainbow I'm like that squealing person like I've seen hundreds of thousands of rainbows um but yeah, I love a sunrise. I love a sun. Not even necessarily in the mountains. I just love to be able to see. I, I love the sky. I like a moody sky as well. You know, it's all dark and gray and yeah.
0: When you're on, when you're doing something, I mean, you probably you might not have seen the sunrise because of the weather conditions. But on yeah. the on the spine race. But but when you are in a race and it's clear and you're running through, and uh, you, do you do you notice that? I mean, it sounds a silly question, but do you? Really, really take in the sunrise yeah. fully and, and, and a, you know, really present in that moment?
1: Yeah, I think um, on the spine on Tuesday night, I was going um, towards High Cup Nick, which is one of the most spectacular places on the Pennine Way. And uh, there was just the most amazing sunset. And it was just the most, it was definitely the most magnificent part of the race. It was just orange sky silhouettes it was just absolutely stunning and sometimes in those you know you're going into like tuesday night and i started on sunday morning so you know you're still you're you're getting tired and sometimes just being able to appreciate that and take it in just does so much for your mindset as well because yeah there's bits of it that are really nasty but there's bits of it that are really magical too and you really need to appreciate that so Yeah. yeah I, yeah. do, I do. I try to take it in because that's why I do it. Do you know, I love the views. I love being outside. So yeah, I'm a bit of a well, happy.
0: That's, that's
1: Self-confessed, lo- proud, happy.
0: Well, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's a lovely sentiment to, to finish on. And, and, Debbie, it's been brilliant having you on. Thank, Thank you, you so much for making the time because I know you, you you do have a busy schedule. We wish you all the best for the Bad Water. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I mean, rather you than me, but no, yeah. in, in all seriousness, I'm sure you'll be fine and, and, and um, we wish you all the best with that.
1: Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having
0: me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Debbie.
1: Thank you. Mm.